Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. Let's welcome our next A-Team guest. Remember, A-Teamers, you're more than welcome to join in. Ask your questions or weigh in on the topic at hand on 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp 0614-104107. Our guest is... uh, a PhD candidate, food science uh, from Stellenbosch University, Malvi Todd. Thank you very much for joining us, Malvi. Good evening. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for having me. There are a couple of reasons why uh, South Africans are apparently not ready for health claims on food labels. But uh, those reasons, uh, taking a look at the sort of food we eat and some reports we see um, around people um, falling ill because of certain foods that they've consumed, should at least allow us to put some sort of claim. Perhaps let's start here. Take us through some of the research that you have uh, conducted yeah, so um, how the research started is really that we have draft legislation, um, R49, that looks at the um, potentially including some health claims on food products. And it very much reflects what's happening in Europe and sort of the types of claims that are allowed in Europe. But of course, what came from the research is huge challenges around how do we actually substantiate these, these claims? How do we make sure that people don't actually take advantage of it just to sell products and take advantage of consumers and so on? Um, but another thing that came out quite strongly from it is actually that you know before we look at taking the next step in terms of putting on health claims or doing whatever else, let's actually fix some of the problems that are recurring problems. The fact that people feel, you know, it's, it's too small to read, it's illegible, so the contrast between the text and the back of the package makes it, you know, almost impossible to read, even if you're wearing glasses. Um, the fact that it generally only caters for English-speaking audience, yet the majority of our population is, is not uh, exclusively English-speaking or certainly not um, English-first home language-speaking. And then, of course, the fact that ultimately, you know, even assuming the fact that someone is going to look at the products on the shelf and say, oh, well, let me take this one because the nutritional values are better, you know, assuming that people have that kind of choice in a country where realistically, you know, people have mouths to feed and a number of people go hungry every night. So, you know, having that choice in the first place is a luxury that a lot of people don't have. So, you know, a number of challenges coming from the from the research around, you know, there's some sort of ground level issues that we first need to fix before we take the next steps. Definitely a lot of ground level uh, issues, especially when it comes to language barriers and Mm -hmm. literacy. But the one thing that we can't um, go without looking at is the fact that a lot of our South African populations are buying from, um, you know, stores that are not necessarily um, stocking from well-known food chain stores. So we've seen it on television, on the news bulletins. We've heard it throughout the years that there are certain retailers in the lower um, income communities that are selling, if I may so put it, fake goods, um, expired goods, and taking advantage of those communities. So should we not then, at least in those cases, have health claims on, on, on food on its own from those particular retailers before we look at the larger uh, retail chain? Yeah, no, you, you raise a very important point that we spoke about in the research as well, and that's that 
I mean, the last statistics that we could see, and this was actually pre-COVID, is that almost 40% of the food sold in South Africa is sold in informal channels, which could be, as you mentioned, um, food coming from different streams, not through mainstream retail. But also, I mean, as we know, in an attempt to make um, purchases more affordable, um, some vendors will actually, you know, break down the product into smaller, like little Ziploc bags of cereal, whatever the case may be. So then, of course, there's no there's no information on that product whatsoever. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, something that, that, that really comes through strongly from this research is that, you know, labeling is only one way in which we can help people making more informed choices about the food that they eat. Um, you know, we need to also take into consideration that, you know, people don't necessarily always have a choice. They, they, they're strapped for cash. They're trying to feed their families and so on. Um, and then just also taking into account how people make decisions, you know, and, you know, people uh, enjoy food. Um, there's cultural attachments to food. So it's really not as simple as just, picking a label on a food product and then assuming that someone's going to read it and, 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 you know, act accordingly. So I think the other big call that we make from this research is that we, we really need to look at the um, food environment, the food, or let's call it the food health nexus, more holistically and systematically. You know, we, we're talking about an ecosystem here, and there's no one thing that can you know, change without affecting everything else. So we need to look at the, the 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 social aspects. We need to look at the economical aspects. We need to look at the fact, you know, how people are buying food, where they're buying food, how it integrates with their habits. And then, of course, also very importantly, you know, starting from a young age, how are we how are we educating people, and are we doing it in a way that's you know, engaging um, for a younger audience nowadays, you know, that's, you know, much more technologically connected, um, learning in different ways, has access to different information. So I think, you know, whilst we want to say that whether it be, you know, health claims or whether we want to look at other front-of-pack labeling solutions, again, that only speaks to the portion of the audience who buying products in formal channels where food is packaged and labeled. Um, but how do we look at it more holistically, specifically in the South African context, which is a country that's very unequal. We've got 11 official languages. We have this huge stream of food um, that's sold in informal channels. We've got the socioeconomic challenges. So I think what we ultimately would like to really say is that, you know, there is an absolute need to come together as stakeholders from different areas, expertise, food scientists, public health experts, nutrition, dietitians, uh, you know, people that are actually in the food industry, uh, political economists, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you get to become a very long list. And then we actually need to say, like, what is the problem? The problem is here that more and more South Africans are dying each year from non-communicable diseases. In other words, things that we can, to a large extent, prevent through better diet and lifestyle. But, you know, we face this whole myriad of challenges. So how do we all put our collective brains together and say, well, in each area, this is what we need to do and let's, you know, work on an integrated plan? Because the bottom line is that labeling in itself is not going to solve the problem. It, it would be like putting a Band-Aid on a severed aorta.
A-Team has re in conversation with uh, Malvi Tata, who is a PhD candidate food science at Stellenbosch University, talking about, uh, you know, why we as South Africans are not currently ready for health claims on food labels. Do you read the food labels that you purchase? Are you one who even checks the expiry date on fresh produce? Or are you one that just uh, purchases what you can afford and walk by? Have you ever consumed something and realized that, ugh, this is not right. This is not correct. What did you do? Please share this experience with us via WhatsApp on 0614-104107 or you can SMS 41391. Um, call in on 011-714-2006. Malvi, you know, when it comes to genetically modified uh, foods, these are the ones that are sneaking into our, our shelves they don't necessarily have labels because it's usually fresh produce. So how can we then be able to identify these um, so that once we are ready for the health claim on food labels, we are also able to, to have a, an onslaught attack on GMOs because they are not good for our health either. Yeah, I think I think the the GMOs is a, is an interesting um, conversation because of course there's kind of different levels of it in terms of what we currently permit in South Africa. Something like soya beans, the, the genetic modifications allowed. Um, it is required to be labelled again. So if there's five um, percent or more, you need to indicate that the the product does have um, genetically modified organisms by way of the soya, for example, um, in the product. Um, I think there was a, a bit of controversy around that legislation specifically in terms of people feeling like, you know, does contain, doesn't contain, having a specific limit, um, you know, either it has or it hasn't. But, of course, I think that also speaks to our supply chains because, you know, large food manufacturers, you're sourcing often from multiple suppliers, and you don't track, you know, each, and I'm just taking soya as an example, you don't track each individual soya bean, you've got mass balance, you can have, you know, more specific tracking and so on. So it, it, it does become challenging. But, you know, the, the law does state that one does need to highlight these things. But again, you go back to um, the point that we were talking about earlier around if you're now buying in a, you know, informal sort of setting, a product that's being um, subdivided in Ziploc bags or maybe not packaged or maybe coming from sort of parallel imports, different countries. Um, you know, it's not supposed to be, but I know the products get into the country that, that you know, aren't necessarily labeled according to our legislation. Again, it's not supposed to be. Everything that comes in is supposed to go through uh, the Department of Health and so on and, and, and be checked, but, you know, things do leak through. Um, but I think on, on that point also just to add, you know, I do need to add the, the flip side to, to the idea, I guess, initially behind, let's say, genetic modification of soybeans and so on. The idea is, for example, to make the crops more drought resistant so that you've got, you know, crops that are guaranteed despite difficult um, ecological conditions. Um, and, you know, of course, then you know, you could more easily guarantee a certain pricing and then obviously that raw material price feeds into the, the the food product, the processing, and then obviously the final price that the consumer pays. So um, a part of me does believe that, you know, an element behind this is in order to try and secure food and an affordable price to the population. But I do believe that the consumer obviously reserves the right 
to make a decision around whether they whether they want to consume that or not. I think where it starts getting a little bit gray is, you know, uh, looking at sort of the gene editing that can happen now um, and that we for sure don't understand, you know, all the potential effects, much like I guess we don't understand the potential effects of anything we're eating or drinking or the air and the, the chemicals that we're breathing and, and so on. Um, but I think what we can rest assured is, in is that, you know, South Africa does generally operate off, uh, you know, international guidelines in terms of food, in terms of um, a Codex Alimentarius and what they generally deem to be uh, safe to include in food. So I think for the large part, we do... Um, you know, certainly for products manufactured here in South Africa, do follow those guidelines. And I, and I must say, and that was something else that came from the research, not around GMOs, but around research around food labeling, is that our re- retailers do play a strong role here in terms of making sure that um, the foods that are available to us, certainly through, again, the formal retail channels, um, do abide by the legislation, what's been sort of deemed safe on a on an international level mm. and we do need to be safe on every point when it comes to our health and um, absolutely and and here, here's a message here from uh, one of our a-teamers who's uh, zama zama says hi patricia what an interesting topic i am starting a spice production of clean chemical free preservative free gluten free due to the disease caused by the food we eat can I please have the contact details of your guest and name, please? That's from Zama. Well, great initiative from Zama. Would you be willing, uh, Malvi, to, to share your details? Uh, ben can do it privately. Yes, sure. Excellent. And I like initiatives like this, when South Africans are willing to start producing our own food, that, you know, it, it's going to be to our taste, using our local uh, and fresh Absolutely. produce. And then it's going to be healthier because no one is going to kill their own. <laughs> no one is going Absolutely. To I mean, I think, yeah. you know, if, you know, if you think about additives to food, a lot of them are really around and the processes are around preserving food, making it last longer so that it can travel, reach different destinations. Um, and you had the whole globalization of food and just about everything else. Mm. Um, but I certainly think, you know, uh, what's positive for us in South Africa and for entrepreneurs in the space is that, you know, a, a, a global enhanced consciousness of health, I think in part also brought about um, by COVID-19 and people being concerned about that is, you know, people are looking for these options that are, you know, containing less, less is more. Um, and I think it provides fantastic opportunities for entrepreneurs in our in our local ecosystem. So I definitely would like to see, you know, much more happening in our local food space. And there is a lot happening already, but I think, you know, um, this this sort of global trend or just a trend, I think, in terms of health and increased consciousness um, should definitely benefit our entrepreneurs locally as well. All right. Excellent. Uh, before we close off the show, then maybe you'll give uh, Ben your email address so he can share with the A-teamer. Let me go to the lines. Sure. Duke, A-teamer, good evening. Good yeah, evening, Good evening. Can you hear me? Loud and clearly. Yes. Oh, fantastic topic. Uh, there you go. Um, I'd like to touch on, on a few few points. Uh one being, I think, the overall uh, system now. Uh, to that, I see when I mean education system, I'm referring to uh, the educational system that our 
our doctors have to go through the I don't think they touch enough on uh, homeopathy or natural uh, healing remedies that you get from food. Uh, um, uh, for instance, you've got flu, you just need to push your, 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 your vitamin C, a lot of vitamin C, your vitamins, you can get that from kiwi. Kiwi is one of the fruits that has got the highest vitamin C, but such, such um, um Info, you don't get it from varsity, you don't get it from any educational system that I know of. I think the overall system does not cater for uh, other other healing processes besides your westernized, global westernized uh, healing mechanism. I think that's, that's the key thing, that's the key issue that we need to uh, direct this conversation towards, you know, because at the moment I think we'll only be targeting the symptoms, but mm-hmm. not the... The, the overall um, uh, the tackling, course, uh, head yeah. on, tackling yeah. head on, yeah, yeah. The, the system itself. Mm. Because you get these doctors, and these doctors, they don't, they cannot inform you any other way that they know. They can only inform you about the Western medications because that's how they were taught, you know. And uh, even if they know that you can, you know what, this ailment, this uh, symptoms that you're suffering from, you can easily get uh, treatment from uh, certain food. They cannot tell you because they haven't been trained they've been educated to, uh, to inform their patients to us, I think. Uh, but then, let's continue to have this conversation, you know. Uh, for instance, I'm following um, uh, one doctor who has been uh, voted as one of the best doctors in the world by other doctors. Uh, he speaks of uh, certain food that has been man-made. What's his name? Things Please like, share with us, Duke, before our time uh, runs. For instance, what's his name? What's the doctor's name? The doctor's name. Dr. Gandhi. Excellent. Dr. We'll look for Dr. Gandhi. Excellent. Jim, because of time, I need to let you go. Thank you for weighing in. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Malvi will comment on uh, Duke's uh, conversation. Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. We are in conversation with uh, Malvi Todd, who's a PhD candidate food science uh, from Stellenbosch University, talking about the reasons why South Africa is not yet ready for health claims on food labels. Before the break, we had Duke, who was just uh, weighing in on uh, what needs to be done from a training point of view when it comes to medical professionals. Malvi, please do weigh in. What are your thoughts on what Duke said? Yeah, well, um, on, in terms of training of, of medical professionals, I can certainly add, you know, interesting things that, that came from, from the research again was um, I spoke to some doctors and dietitians and public health practitioners, both in the private and public space. And obviously, you know, a bit of difference between the clients and, and the approach. But uh, again, the, the sort of fifth theme that we, that we came out with was this idea of ambassadors to change, um, and certainly if we look at the the, the, the health practitioner space, um, what I saw was there was definitely evidence of you know doctors, dietitians, etc., working let's call it especially in the public space that really were making a concerted effort to try and help patients understand, for example, you know how much sugar is in the soft drinks that you're drinking, the fruit juice that you're drinking, or even you know. The shots, the alcohol, the alcohol and alcoholic products and shots that, that you're drinking, and and trying to you know um, convert it into a format that they understand. But you know, all of this was very much based on um, sort of in, uh, individual initiative. Um, 
you know, people offering up their lunch breaks to do, uh, you know, extra sessions with patient, patients with obesity that really, you know, want to turn things around and so on. So I definitely think, um, you know, there does appear to be room based on, on the research that was done to um, assist um, healthcare practitioners with some more specific um, uh, training on, on, on how to guide patients around uh, health and nutrition um, and, you know, also sort of decoding decoding food and, and health and labels and all of this in a way that they can understand. And, I mean, I, I, I can imagine it's quite a challenging environment. You know, you're going to have doctors speaking to patients, you know, maybe uh, with different first languages um, and so on. So I think there, you know, the use of visual tools, something, something that came out, so for example, when the doctors I spoke to saying, you know, explain to patients, you know, in teaspoons of sugar, you know, this thing of Coke contains like, you know, whatever, 15 teaspoons of sugar. So that's why, you know, you shouldn't, you know, have that every day kind of thing or, you know, limit the, the amount. Um, so I definitely think, you know, considering the fact that, you know, again, going back to we talk about non-communicable diseases, things like diabetes, um, cardiovascular, heart disease, et cetera, um, a lot of this, not all of it, there's obviously some that has genetic elements to it, but a lot of it has got to do with diet and lifestyle. So if we can actually intervene, and when I say we, I mean, obviously, again, we're talking about multiple stakeholders, but certainly you know, from education from school levels and then obviously, you know, food manufacturers and manufacturing, but if we talk about healthcare workers, if we can, you know, help people make changes in their lifestyle earlier on, you know, we can ideally prevent them getting to the point where they actually develop full-blown diabetes or develop a heart condition or whatever as a result of, of their diet. So I definitely think prevention is better than cure, but then we definitely need to also help uh, the respective role players in our system to be able to deliver um, that information. Um, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, for sure, so, so I would agree. I think there could definitely be um, additional training. I don't think we'll, we'll probably ever reach enough training, but, but more certainly won't be won't be harmful in this scenario. Let's go to uh, two voice notes from our A-teamers. Hi, Patricia and Melvi. This is Akide in uh, Johannesburg. Yes, I do find food labeling helpful, um, and I actually do read up uh, religiously, especially before I buy um, things like your your cereals, your you know your rice, and all those kind of things, your your staple foods. But it would be great if we could get consistent, you know, labeling, especially on on, on meat specifically white meat or mm. pork even though it doesn't really have many micronutrients in it you know it's probably protein and water it would be great to know the amount of protein that goes in there because we tend to calculate the amount of protein that we need to eat for our body weight uh, daily so that would actually be much more great i mean uh, well received thank you Hello, Auspet. Nice show. No, I want to know uh, whether this uh, organization or entity, South African Bureau of Standards, is still uh, available and active. Because uh, when we check uh, in most Somali, Pakistani shops, there are no signs of such a thing. So that is why there is a lot of fake. I, I want to know from the guests 
what happened to that entity that they regulate the uh, healthy food submission Thank you for your voice notes, A-teamers. Uh, let me quickly read this one. Uh, it's a message from uh, Stephen and Guadro who says, I produce organic chili sauce. I really need your guest contact details. I need my products certified in order to enter the retail space. So two of our A-teamers are producing organic foods and we're going to share their detail, your details, Melvie, with them. But uh, as we are about to close off, please just uh, respond to the two A-teamers. Are you still there, ma'am? Yes, I'm still here. Sorry, Patricia, the, the sound is very soft on my side, if you don't mind repeating that. All right. Did you hear the voice notes from our A-teamers? I, I heard the first one. It sounded like the first gentleman was asking about more information on, like, meat products. Yeah, yeah, that he wishes mm. that there was more labeling around meat products. And then the second one was around, you know, who's regulating um, all these yes. uh, shops. Is there still a body that regulates them? Ah uh, yes, yes. So so definitely. Um, in in terms of the meat, so obviously our our legislation requires some minimum or less, if I can put it, that uh, labelling in terms of, of fresh products like meat and so on. Um, obviously, if you're making things like brewers, for example, the law does require you to state sort of what type of meat is in there, the percentage of actual meat versus additional fat, for example. But in terms of a full nutritional breakdown, it's actually interesting to mention that um, our current legislation, as it stands, doesn't always doesn't actually require the nutritional table unless you're making a nutrient content claim. So unless you're saying something like um, high in fiber, you don't actually by law need to provide that, that nutritional panel, which then gives you the full breakdown of protein and fat and carbs and all that sort of thing. Um, but although a lot of a lot of um, manufacturers are voluntarily including that, or then obviously they're making a claim to include that. So meat is one of those categories of products that, that kind of falls in that space where it, you know it's not required to do that. And of course, the other challenge with meat is you know the animals differ. So you know each and every carcass that's slaughtered and you know you know meats or chops or whatever cut from it. There's going to be slight variations, mm. but I definitely think you know it is it is definitely a space that you know there is the potential to add sort of you know high level ranges because you know it's obviously going to vary between sort of upper and lower parameters. So, Melvin, so I would agree with that. Okay, Melvin, um, because of time, yeah. I need to go to the news. Could you kindly give us a a contact detail, whether it's an email address for our A teamers to reach sure. you? I will do so. Will you give us on air, or will you give it to Ben to forward to the A teamers? I'll give it to. Okay, excellent. Give it to Ben. Thank you very much for joining us, Melvin. Thanks, Patricia. Excellent. A-teamers, it's exactly 11 o'clock on the dot. Let's go to Greg Host with the final news bulletin. Good evening, Greg.